Welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. Not only will you get insights into some fascinating innovations, but you may also even relate to their stories, especially if you are a little unconventional or non-conforming yourself. As with all science and technology, what these women do for a living has a real impact on all of our lives, and we often don't realise it. But here on Innovation, I'm also giving women a platform for them to be heard and for us to be inspired and uplifted by what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Samantha Micklewright, a clinical scientist and engineer. Uh, I'm Sam. I'm a clinical scientist working um, at the Sussex Community NHS Foundation Trust, so I work in the NHS. Um, the area I'm working at the moment is a communication aid service. So we provide um, communication aids, sort of tablet computers and things like that, and the access methods for people who are unable to speak or verbalize themselves um, and who often are unable to use direct access. So a touchscreen, um, for example. So you're actually an engineer by qualification, aren't you? Tell me about that. Yes, I very much am. Very proud to be. Um, So I did an engineering degree at Bath University. Um, I did my master's in mechanical engineering and then went on to do a PhD in biomedical engineering. So orthopedics, knee replacements, that area, which is great. Um, Although I have a few more grey hairs from it, (laughs) I think. Um, and then I've done a master's in science, but in clinical engineering. So I very much sort of started broad and went from mechanical and has, have come into this now really quite niche field of clinical engineering. Gosh, that's a lot of studying. Um, yes, it is. What's motivating you? So um, the, first, the first degree was very much that's kind of what, I, what seemed to be what I wanted to do. And I loved it. PhD, I think you've got if you've got an interest in something and a good um, good supervisor, then the PhD just kind of made sense. It was it was something that I kind of decided would be something I probably would want to do at some point in life, and I kind of knew that if I didn't do it straight away, I'd really 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 struggle to come back to it. So that was the I was thinking it was in a bit of a now or never. Um, I had to do the the um, MSc as part of. If you want to work in the NHS in healthcare as an engineer, the the most kind of known way and the, probably the best, potentially the best way of going through it is through this, something called the scientist training program. Um, and in order to do the scientist training program, you do a full time well, a full time job, which is sort of on the job training with a part time MSc. So it was just despite what your previous qualifications are, you got to do some more learning. But it was it was part-time whilst I was um, having an amazing experience um, actually learning and meeting patients and things at the same time. So that wasn't so so bad. Was there any part of you that was like, oh, I've already got a master's. Why am I having to do this again? Absolutely, yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, it seemed a bit crazy, to be honest. And I was still trying to write up my thesis when I started. And it was in... London I was living in Salisbury I was commuting in to do these lectures and I was just thinking what am I doing with my life but actually at the time it seemed a bit crazy but I got on with it and now it's just a, it's it makes me chuckle to myself and that's about it kind of thing you know it it was something that needed to be done it wasn't that painful really um 
but yeah, it did seem a bit crazy that I'd already already sort of thought I'd finished my studying. So you must have had a real passion to be working for the NHS. Um, what was driving you personally? I just think I've always loved engineering and that's something that was just kind of in my bones, I think. But I just really wanted to apply it to something that felt worthwhile. And to me, that's just the place to go, I think. You know, don't get me wrong, every every aspect of engineering is worthwhile. We use it every day all around us. But I just, I think I, I love people, you know, actually that interaction, direct interaction with people. And it's so unbelievably rewarding from a selfish perspective. It's so rewarding to be able to turn up to work each day and actually apply some engineering and some science to to make a difference in someone's life, like it, it, in in a really like direct way. It's 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 pretty cool. I think I mean, that's very easy to be passionate about. To be honest, <laughs> like yeah, that's that's what that's what gets me up in the morning, definitely. So cool. <laughs> So getting into engineering for a female is one thing, but then going into medical engineering is something very um, specific. I think it takes a certain type of personality. So was this something that you knew from an early age um, that you wanted to spend the rest of your life doing? And if so, what were the signs when you were a little girl that this would be your profession? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think, how do you know? You know, how do you know these things? But I think I always, I, in terms of just engineering itself, I always really enjoyed. I was very practical. I mean, my 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 family are very practical. We always go out and and do all you know all sorts of things. I was a scout when I was a teenager, so that, I mean, I loved doing the raft building and the pioneering and anything that I could get my hands on, kind of thing. That was very much me. And so I think I was slowly beginning to wonder if that was something that I'd be interested in, but. To be honest, I think it's so hard when you're a teenager or even younger. What is engineering? Who, who on earth knows? Like, <laughs> it's just impossible. Um, so I still was in a situation where I just had this careers talk, you know, the standard careers talk when you're in secondary school and sort of just got a, a book shoved in front of me that just had every career in the, on the planet. In, and I just sort of flipped through and I was like, OK, well, I quite like science and I quite like maths, but I also really like biology. What, what could this be kind of thing? And I decided to go for mechanical just because I wasn't 100% sure. And I didn't really understand what medical engineering definitely was. The, pr- the principle of it sounded great. I think if you kind of search medical engineering, often the first thing that comes up is prosthetics and things like that. That's also, you know, that's interesting. It's definitely something I thought that could be me. That, that's great. But I still wasn't sure. And so a few people kind of advised me, you know, start wide and you can always um, go into it when you know a bit more kind of thing. And so I think that was the way forwards and it is hard to kind of specific to go to go so focused early on if you're not really sure if you haven't had the work experience so I did a bit of work experience in some hospitals um had a had a bit of an idea from that what, what it might involve but there's so many that's the thing with medical engineering I guess with with everything there's so many different aspects that are completely different so you could be in completely different places in your career you know as a medical engineer you know, there's just so much to it um so yeah I think it wasn't until I was actually at university and I started taking some of the more medical modules got much more interested in that and then from my PhD 
again, was very clearly interested. I knew I wanted to go onto the STP at this point. So I knew that was where I wanted to go. And it's just always luckily worked out. You know, if, every time I've done, done more and got more involved, I've, I've loved it more kind of thing. It hasn't, hasn't. But I think it's, it's really hard when people are asking me about it. I often say, like, don't worry. It's, it's not, you can change your mind. That's the thing. Because I think it seems like such a big decision and you can just change your mind and it is fine. And, you know, so many people I know have jumped around from all sorts of places. But yeah, the thing I was going to say is that the Small Peace Trust, I've been working with the Small Peace Trust since I was at university and they are so, they, they do courses for teenagers and it's such a good idea because it's like an engineering experience course and lots of places do it, but like, I don't, I either just didn't know about them when I was sort of that much younger or maybe there weren't so many of them around, but it, it would have been perfect because it would just gives you that, throws you in and just gives you that experience to get a very small snippet of what it might be like to know whether to just completely trash the idea or go ahead and, and do something I think so yeah they they were a really good charity to work with I think. yeah actually you bring something out that has been sort of suggested in um, other conversations I've had about getting into engineering but you put it so plain and um, simply and it's crystal clear how important it is to get experience of engineering in order to go into engineering for sure um, why did you decide to focus on needs uh, well uh, <laughs> that's tricky I think you there is an element of a PhD of what's what's kind of available at the time as well and what what your supervisor is interested in and kind of what you might become interested in so I did a Barney a project on hips and thought hey this could be interesting I like orthopedics and and hip replacements and and how the biomechanics of that work so how you know what what for I was setting up a rig to find out um, more about the forces on a hip replacement at the time um, and I think we just happened to have a conversation at some point about knees and revision total knee arthroplasty particularly and how it needed some more work basically and we kind of just talked it through and thought oh this could be a really good PhD project it was a lot to do with my supervisor to be fair um but he kind of he had that great skill and wisdom of being able to kind of give you a little snippet and you go oh actually that's yeah that is really interesting let's do that I think and yeah now and I, I could talk to you about knees for an awful long time and bore you to death I think to be honest but I never thought that that would again you never think it would be the case until you get into something I think and then you realize that actually it is really interesting and there's so much out there to find out and yeah I mean in its essence what is the most fascinating thing about needs from an engineering perspective I guess the huge number of forces and the the, um, the the huge force going through them so like it's just it's just the structure is allowing you to go and run and jump and do crazy things which means that you have something I think I can't remember the exact statistic I could I could look it up but it's something like 10 or 12 times your body weight through your knee if you're running and it's just like and it can just take it and it can take it with, with people that aren't even really looking after it as well you know and and so the knee in itself is quite an amazing thing and how it the how the human like how the human body is able to adapt to whatever you throw at it I think is is 
also unbelievable. And then when you then come to a knee replacement and you say, okay, well, I'm just going to put this metal and composite material inside your body and you'll be fine. Like, yes, don't get me wrong. There's an awful lot of work to be done. And then, um, but it's quite impressive to then have these people going and living very normal lives with a knee replacement and really quite complex anatomy and mm. complex yeah there's so much the soft tissue and surrounding that knee and like the fact that the, the patella and the fact that you don't often replace the patella but then you put it so that it's interacting with man-made material you know it's just and it and it's fine <laughs> it's just so many things it's just yeah I love I love the interaction between the human body and engineering and how we can somehow work in sometimes it doesn't always work but sometimes work in in harmony together is quite impressive I think it's quite a skill. Now that you're based at the NHS um, what are the major differences uh, between you being an engineer and then working with doctors like on an actual practical level what are you doing on a day-to-day basis that really um, sort of identifies you as being an engineer? Yeah that's a really good question I think Doctors and other therapists, so I often work with speech and language therapists, for example, and occupational therapists, they are absolutely brilliant at their role and what they do. But I do kind of think that engineers have this ability to have that holistic view on things. So we haven't, as because of the training in, in the clinical engineering side, we haven't a very sort of top level understanding of the clinical element of things but also we can see all of the other stuff so the environment that that person's in and what effect that's going to have on their environment and I think it just means that we are able to take that step back and see from an outsider's perspective and I think that's what you're taught right from the beginning of your mechanical engineering degree for example you 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 know if you're project managing something or if you're if you're designing something you can't just be sort of tunnel visioned doing that one thing that you're concentrating on you have no choice but to think of everything and all of the possible risk factors you know risk risk management in, in itself is a huge thing that engineers bring to the NHS I think it's just being able to sort of think what if and how can we improve this and how can we innovate something and whereas I think actually clinicians are probably so busy in their day-to-day job that they even if they were thinking oh could this be better or oh, I wonder if there's some other factors here that might come into play, don't necessarily have the resources to be able to think about that. I think it's quite nice to, we just often think of things that haven't necessarily come up before. And what does that actually look like in terms of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Like, are you sort of like uh, building prototypes and kind of, experimenting with awesome machines and I'd, lo- I'd love to say yes I feel like that is not it's not quite that cool but there are times when we do do that I think it, it really ranges every day is very different I do some clinical work so I very much go and see patients we go out we cover uh, two counties we go out in the community to see patients in their homes and I will be kind of presented with a problem in, in a kind of simplified way in terms of an engineering way and and, and that patient will need me to solve it and it might be that we can just use off-the-shelf stuff and it's then just combining various technology 
to find a solution, but it might be that actually the solution doesn't exist and therefore we need to design it. So then I'll go back and do some work on CAD, design some parts, get it manufactured, do the testing, make sure it goes with the quality system, all of that sort of stuff. So it is very, very, you know, I probably design something a very small percentage of the time but because you know why would you if the off-the-shelf stuff works but generally it's it's the combination of all these different things and it's having the knowledge that all those things are out there and how they might interact with each other I guess um that's kind of where the engineering comes in whereas I think a clinician would be really good at understanding what the patient needs and maybe being able to give them something but maybe not having all of that additional kind of knowledge and, and kind of technical expertise to know what you can combine. There's kind of like a blurred line between what doctors do and what medical engineers do. And it's a really interesting blurred line because engineers are innovating and they're designing and they're building and they're constructing. Um, and it's just so interesting to think that that is applied to the human body. It's fascinating. Um, so what were the key milestones in terms of your education and your career decisions that got you to where you are today? I did my A-levels at a sixth form college, the same sixth form college I went to school. So I did uh, physics, biology, maths and history for two years. Um, I then went to the University of Bath to do my master's in mechanical engineering. That was five years because I did a sandwich uh, course there. Um, I did three and a bit years um, for my PhD, also at the University of Bath, um, under the same supervisor I'd had for my final year project. Or um, sandwich year? Yeah, so like placement year. So I did, I did within my, mas- my first master's, I did two years at Bath and then a year out in industry doing a placement, which was brilliant. Really Whereabouts? Uh, in Coventry, a, a company called ITCM, but it's actually not related to medical at all because mm. at the time, really disappointingly, um, there wasn't really any medical tie, like links with the university. So they hadn't, they didn't have many opportunities in a medical placement. And so I went and did a placement in packaging machinery, which honestly sounds like the dullest thing in the world, but actually was really quite enlightening you know it's quite a I think I learned some really fundamental engineering foundations which I wouldn't have learned otherwise which have hugely helped me for like the rest of my career I'm so grateful that I did it because it seemed like such an odd decision at the time. What kind of things did you learn that influences what you do today? So definitely the problem solving side of things I think I used to be very wasn't I didn't have the confidence to kind of solve the problems really you know I'd, I'd I'd have the I'd be I'd be thinking about solving them but I wouldn't have the confidence to say oh why don't we try this or why don't we do this I'd just get freaked out about the fact that something wasn't working whereas in high speed with high speed packaging machinery so we were designing um you know production lines that that run you know like 300 packets a minute or something so it's just basically just stuff flowing past you and then suddenly you just have this massive puff of drugs because it's just all gone wrong and the, the delivery method hasn't worked. And it forced me, there were some great engineers there that forced me to like actually sit down and go, okay, what, how are we going to analyze this? What are we going to do? Let's get a high-speed camera on it. Let's think of all the potential problems that it could have been. You know, let's, let's actually apply some logic and some engineering kind of fault 
fault analysis to it and have the confidence to say, I think this is what the problem is. Let's change that part. Let's remanufacture that and redesign it and try it and take it for a spin and see what happens. You know, all of these things I just wouldn't have the just wouldn't have the confidence to do, I don't think. And so it was kind of like it forced me to actually practically apply the foundations that I'd learned in those first two years at uni and just mm. get that confidence to do it. And it meant I was so much I was so much of a better engineer going back to uni for the last two years of my original degree. I think I just yeah, I wouldn't I couldn't shout about it more considering it was so random. <laughs> like, I think it just, yeah, it just really, really helped. And now I apply that now. So every, you know, someone, someone phones to say they're having a problem with a piece of equipment or something's causing them pain and we need to work out why. It just, now it just works in my brain, you know, okay, well, let's, let's sit down and think, think what problems are. Whereas I think quite a lot of times, otherwise people will just assume one thing and just go straight for that. You know, don't sort of sit back and, look at it in that kind of holistic way yeah um I haven't needed a high-speed camera since to be fair but uh disappointingly <laughs> so after uh, your PhD uh what happened next yeah so I managed to get on to the scientist training program that's the SDP um it's a really difficult thing to sign up to they, they have um quite a grueling process which involves speed dating basically <laughs> which is always fun uh, in an interview process but I was very lucky to be able to get onto that I think it really helped having the PhD um, and having that experience from that side of things um, yeah so I got onto that and that's so I then went to Salisbury Hospital for three years and had a really good experience there um, tr training in rehabilitation engineering that's kind of the the, the sector that we look at then so you do your part-time MSc at King's College and um, your work placements. And it kind of, you start out quite broad. So you do things like rehab engineering, um, equipment management, um, design, kind of those sort of modules throughout your first year. And then you specialize very much in the rehab side. So in Salisbury, they specialize in functional electrical stimulation, which is a really interesting area. Which, so if someone's got drop foot, for example, you can apply an electrical stimulation um, to their legs to help them lift their foot as they're walking so that they don't trip over as often, for example. Um, they have a little sensor in their shoe to know when they've lifted their foot to then know when to turn off. It's really, it's a really impressive um, area. I had a lot of a lot of fun it's as silly as that sounds I very much enjoyed working in that um, area of rehab engineering I met a lot of wonderful people um, and then mm -hmm. also wheelchairs and and custom-made seating that kind of area and gait and analysis what's that um, um, so analyzing someone's gait someone's walking so you have a, a room full of cameras and sensors and you put sensors on um, their body and then they walk up and down the room as naturally as they possibly can bless them um, <laughs> and you analyze the kinetics and kinematics of of what they're doing in the hope that you can then provide some form of intervention or or advice as to improve whatever it is that you're you know they might be having pain they might have you know pre-post-surgery or they might be prior to surgery coming in to see um what a before and after kind of thing there's lots of different reasons yeah. why but yeah gosh I mean 
It just, it sounds so awesome because <laughs> kind of using the human body as the prototype, mm. um, the designing for that. And, you know, at the end of it all, there's like a real person who's receiving your innovation and technology. Um, I can yeah. understand why that's so rewarding. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's amazing. I think I found that. So my PhD, I, there was lots of elements that I really enjoyed, but it was very, um, it, it was not direct enough for me. I, you know, I was looking at these these um, knee replacements and and seeing the effect of the design on the biomechanics, but I wasn't actually meeting patients and seeing that direct thing. And that's that, that I wanted to be much more in there kind of thing. And it, it, it was nice to sort of see, okay, this is what I could be doing, but actually this is what I want to be doing. It's quite good, so definitely. So then what's the most challenging part of your job? Yeah, I think that's, being in the NHS, working in healthcare, we've got, so as an engineer, I'm also, it's, <laughs> the naming convention is weird, I'm also a healthcare scientist. So uh, we have a lot of healthcare scientists in the NHS, some of which are engineers, some of which are, are lots of different um, sort of science backgrounds. But I think in general, as, as, as much as we should have more healthcare scientists, more engineers in the NHS, it's just, they can solve so many problems, make things so much more efficient. <laughs> There's just so many reasons why it's a good idea. But I think it's also very frustrating because you can see technology around you in everyday life that's, you know, mass-produced technology or technology in other sectors that could be so helpful to the healthcare sector. But despite our best efforts, you just don't have the funding or you just haven't had get the, you don't get the uptake in, in the same sort of speed as any other industry. And so it can be really frustrating. And that's really hard when you're actually speaking to patients and they're saying, what, why are you giving me this massive bit of metal work when actually that's massively over-engineered and it's 30 years old, or, you know, the design is, and I'm, and I'm saying, I know it's really, it, I hate it too. I, I don't like that I'm doing this, but it solves the problem and it might not be the Aston Martin version of, of the problem, of the solution, but it is a solution. And actually most people are really fine with that, but as an engineer, you always want it to be better kind of thing. And so there's, it's kind of like, that's actually, I think, the most challenging in terms of the find, getting the solutions with the resources that you have um, and knowing and dealing with the fact that there might be better solutions, but they're not available. And actually, you've got to work with what you've got, I think. But it's also, it's challenging in, in terms of the frustration, but it's also challenging in terms of the, you really have to think outside the box. So sometimes you can think, okay, well, maybe I can apply that thing from a completely different industry and take that idea and, and use it in this in this way and design that thing. You know, it's, it's really, it, it allows you to, to do quite a lot, I think, which is quite nice. Mm. So how much of your job, because um, I get a sense that you really love the, the connecting with people aspect of your job. Um, what proportion of your week is actually spent um, with patients? I'd say I see probably for a day a day and a half maybe so like maybe 20 20 25 percent of my week is directly with patients um and then the rest of it is kind of preparing for that and and doing this doing the stuff afterwards a lot of paperwork but not not a crazy amount of paperwork and as again as a kind of engineer and scientist we're trying to improve make that more streamlined and things which is quite nice to yeah, because I think engineers typically have this reputation of being tinkerers in the garden shed um yeah you can't do that <laughs> in healthcare unfortunately yeah but are you sort of like 
is there an aspect to your job that's very much kind of where you can experiment and tinker and prototype or yes but it's regulated I guess is the thing I guess it it, it yes to an extent and I guess because you know, like you were saying, like patients are prototypes. And it's like, yeah, they are. But at the same time, they kind of can't be because, you know, I wouldn't want to have someone tinker and then go, here, go try this out. So it's very much, yes, I can do that tinkering and trying things out. And I think you can't, you can't innovate without that, really. But it then has to go through quite a strict quality system and a strict process of testing to make sure that we can do everything we possibly can to, to be convinced that it is going to be safe or as safe as it can be for the patient. So I think so, so long as we go through that process and we don't just go from garden shed straight to giving it to that person, then yeah. it's fine. And I kind we're of not that's, allowed to do that as well. Pardon? Probably not allowed. No, to do we're that. not. No, we're definitely not allowed <laughs> to do that. Surprising how possibly that whether you're allowed or not might not necessarily matter in other areas, perhaps. But yeah, you're not allowed to do that. But, and yeah. rightly so. When I'm trying to explain to um, we have trainees come through um, and that's kind of what I try and say I, I, I want people to m- know because you can say oh you have to do all this paperwork but it's not quite the same I don't think it's just explaining I want you to be confident that you can give whatever it is you've designed to a patient and and sleep at night really like I, I want you to, to be convinced that you've done everything you can to make sure it's safe and and I think if you've done that you've probably you need to do the paperwork too, but you've probably automatically then done, you've gone through all of those processes and you've done all that paperwork, you've checked the risk assessment and you've done all that sort of stuff because you've actually thought from a conscious level, is it okay to be given this to this person? I think it's quite a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, it's, it, it really is very um, specific to medical engineering because I think, you know, I've met other engineers in robotics and there's kind of like this, um, playfulness to experimentation that you absolutely cannot do when you're yeah you know, lives and, so, it, and that is hard because you know it's, it's like I think it's a natural engineering thing that you want to just be like oh well, I'll just tweak this and see what happens but I think you just have to that's and that's why the STP is quite good because it kind of takes you from that tweak it and see what happens probably get really good results but but actually let's let's maybe add a little bit of extra checking to it and, and making sure and, and and actually putting the patient at the center and doing all of the other stuff I guess and that's it's good to teach you I think definitely yeah I must say I've talked to engineers that sort of are quite um free to be creative with their ingenuity and 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 the technologies that they're developing and there's this kind of like sense of um you know, having a go. Um, whereas I do get a strong sense from the way you approach your engineering that um, that actually the academic processes you've gone through have been really necessary because mm-hmm. there's been a strong sense with other disciplines in engineering that academia is not necessarily the most beneficial part of their training. Um, you know, they prefer to sort of do apprenticeships and learn on the job and things like that. And yeah. whereas I think it's really important to get the academic side right in your profession. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think I think you're probably right, actually, in, in the in the in the scheme of engineering disciplines, it probably is one of the ones that academia 
is more important. I do think I totally understand the people that say actually let's do an apprenticeship. Like you, you learn so so much on the job, and doing that year in industry really made a difference. It kind of made my initial degree useful in some ways because it actually had, gave me some perspective to for this for the last two years I think so if I hadn't have done that I probably would have been a lot worse off and so doing apprenticeships and doing on-the-job training is is there's a lot to be said for that but you're right I think there are fundamental principles that you need in some areas and I guess with medical that is the case really yeah. but th- there are ways there are routes to go through that you don't have to go I think you have to do you have to study alongside on the job work so you, I don't think you can get to being a clinical scientist or a clinical engineer without having qualifications but I think you can choose to do them on the job which which could be if you have the time and if you've got the opportunity that could be a really good way of doing it as well but yeah fundamentally I do think the academic side is definitely going to be kind of enforcing that actually let's not just put something that's not unsafe in the patient's hands I guess but that is so, just the way it is I think with that in mind um would you approach your career path any differently with hindsight I think it really depends on the person so if, it, if we were talking about someone reading this book I'd say definitely don't rule out the way I've done it I, I think for me it was the right way to do it it just I had an absolutely amazing experience at university I've met the most wonderful people that are going to be friends for life and I I could never take that away from it but I do understand that some people that's just not for them and there are alternative ways we have an apprentice now um, in our department who is amazing and I've, I've really got on on side of kind of apprenticeships and how that side of things works um, but I think there's room for both definitely and and the university I would not wish anyone not to have the university experience it, just from a social perspective not just from a from a kind of learning perspective um but yeah for, so for me I think it was the right path to take even though there were definitely times when I was very much doubting that <laughs> like nothing you know if it was easy it would be boring eh? like that's um but I think it's it's good to be aware that there are you can choose whatever path suits you I guess but and quite hard to know which path that's going to be until you've tried it out which what's the um diversity and inclusion sort of circumstances in your field like is it a positive situation uh yeah I think I've never known anyone to to not feel included to be fair that's that's um in terms of like male male to female ratio I think there's quite a large number of females in in the medical field in comparison to the proportion of engineers elsewhere um and to be honest with you it's not something that I even really noticed and you know it's just it's a funny thing I don't I think it's someone asked me once and I checked and my degree was my first degree was 10% female but I don't think I ever thought I was sat in lectures I didn't ever think oh god there's so many males here you know I just it just didn't come up and I suppose that's a really nice thing it probably means that I was lucky to have a lot of good people around me that didn't make it an issue I guess um and certainly now we've got a great mix of people, which is absolutely necessary, to be honest with you. Like if we were all the same, completely the same, we wouldn't have the good ideas and the good combination of ideas that we have to, to help people. So I think the mix is fundamental, really. 
so you've never had to sort of like um, develop certain characteristics in order to hold your own as a woman in STEM? I think, I think I've had to develop characteristics to hold my own in STEM. I don't necessarily know whether that's because I'm a woman in STEM. So what have they been? I think I automatically go on the defensive quite, <laughs> quite quickly. I'm probably slightly more bolshy. That's a bad word, but like, I'm, I'm probably... Um, and I possibly... Yeah, I think what I do is I am absolutely certain of some facts before I go to have a, a, a discussion <laughs> with someone um if I suspect it's going to be a difficult discussion so I, I will go very prepared and, and know and if I'm prepared I won't let anyone talk me down you know I think whereas if I'm not 100% confident then I'll easily just be like okay well I'll just stay quiet and let you talk some nonsense at me kind of thing whereas if I if I've thought about it beforehand and I know the facts and I know that I'm right I'm, I'm much better now I've got the, I feel like I've got the benefit of, of some some years behind me to just sort of go no actually I for these reasons that's not the case and that's not what we're going to do and I I think it's I don't know how I've got I don't know how I've got to that I guess it's happened naturally I don't know well do you know in when it comes to holding your own whether you're a man woman or anything in between um I think you hit on something really important which is to really know your stuff um, and I think when you have that sort of substance and that knowledge and that expertise, um, you end up having a real security about um, yourself, which automatically allows you to be confident amongst your peers. Mm. And um, you really have that air about you. And it's just incredible to hear about the work that you're doing. And I can see the passion that you have for your work. And it's kind of infectious. Um, oh good i'm pleased <laughs> thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with me and um Thanks yeah for asking. your job sounds awesome like it really combines that sort of um that empathetic compassionate side for others together with the technical side of engineering i mean what an amazing combination yeah i mean i can't i can't answer anything more to be honest i really it's the way to, it's the way to do it in my opinion like if, if for the book you should just pop that at the top of the page i think just become a clinical engineer but you just you'll be fine <laughs> you might have to go through lots of rubbish in, in the process of, but i think it's all a good challenge That's the... it's all worth it in yeah. the end yeah definitely. <laughs> awesome thank you so um, much it's lovely to speak to you, you.